All right. Welcome, everyone, to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined today, as always, by my co-host, Brian Wells. In today's episode, we have NFL Week 13 as we take a look at some of the biggest action around the league and talk about some of the more notable things we saw and what we expect moving forward. We'll talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers and their offensive woes and their first loss of the season to the Washington football team. We'll talk about their rivals, the Cleveland Browns, particularly Baker Mayfield, pulling out a huge statement win over the Tennessee Titans. We'll debate the Eagles benching of quarterback Carson Wentz for rookie Jalen Hurts and more throughout the league. We'll also talk some MLB hot stove as the winter meetings are being held this week. They've been mostly quiet to this point, so we'll be talking more about predictions, but we will kind of give some thoughts on some of the more notable moves as well as some of the rumors throughout the league. And finally, with Christmas quickly approaching, we will count down our favorite Christmas movies in today's top five. So with that, let's get started. So, uh, Brian, another episode, back to back weeks now, and uh, we're still talking a lot of NFL. The season's starting to wind down; just four weeks left in the season. So let's get into our NFL Week 13 reactions, and we're going to do them a little differently this week. Uh, instead of kind of going through individual games, just kind of giving our thoughts on those, we're going to uh, do more of a question format and just kind of pose these based on some of the action that we saw this week and part of the reason for that is because there really wasn't a huge marquee matchup this week Uh, if you look at the primetime games you had uh, multiple teams playing where they're outside of the playoff picture so uh, I think it's fair to say that the biggest game of the week was at one o'clock on Sunday between the Tennessee Titans and the Cleveland Browns both teams came into this one eight and three Uh, certainly a big test for both teams and the Cleveland Browns certainly won that test Uh, they wound up pulling out a 41 to 35 win but it was much closer uh, on the final score than it was throughout the game because the Browns jumped out to a 38 to 7 halftime lead and a lot of that was because of the play of quarterback Baker Mayfield who threw four touchdown passes didn't throw a pick uh, streak he's continued for the past few weeks now and Cleveland's won four in a row. They're nine and three. It seems like they're finally going to make the playoffs for the first time since 2002. And our first question is, is Baker Mayfield establishing himself as one of the NFL's best quarterbacks? I definitely wouldn't go that far as someone that's not a fan of the guy, but did he have a good game? Yeah, it was probably the best game of his career. And I think the Browns need more of that from Baker because I think they're a one-dimensional offense and they rely 
a lot on their running game and uh, especially when Chubb is back in the lineup and and out of all the running backs in the league I don't want to say he's the best running back in the league but in terms of just pure rushers or runners uh, outside of Dalvin I think Chubb is in the uh, in the conversation for best runner uh, at the running back position in the league uh, averaging what around six yards a carry and uh, he's doing a done a great job ever since he's come back from his uh, MCL injury and uh, so they run, so they rely on the running game a lot, but uh, I think for the Cleveland Browns to uh, adva- advance deep into the playoffs, I think they need games like that, not exactly like that from Baker, where he has to throw four plus touchdowns every game. But I think uh, he can't just be a game manager every single game. Uh, so, but with that being said, what is, is he in the conversation for one of the best QBs in the league? Definitely not, but. Um, Middle tier, I guess I would say, uh, he's he's probably better than I give him credit for. But in terms of best QBs, no, I wouldn't. I definitely wouldn't go that far just because of one game. So I think we're going to have a lot of answers, and most of these questions, I think all of them that we're going to ask are going to be yes or no. And I think we're going to have a lot of them where we agree on that yes or no answer, but we kind of disagree on the reasoning. Uh, so I also agree. I, I think it's way too early to say that Baker Mayfield is establishing himself as a top quarterback in the NFL. I think a lot of Browns fans want to say that. They want to point to this game and see, look, we were right. Baker Mayfield des- was deserving of the number one overall pick. He is a franchise quarterback. He is going to lead this team. And a lot of people who hate on Baker Mayfield need to start apologizing for hating on him. And I think it's way too early for that. This is the first game this season where he's gone over 300 yards. Yes, he's been able to avoid an interception in his past now But five he also games. didn't throw a touchdown for three weeks no, or so. No, he didn't. And a lot of that was because it was bad weather. It wasn't good passing weather. Cleveland is able to take advantage of the, the, the situation to be able to run the ball. They lost to Las Vegas. It wasn't very good. But they pulled out wins and close ones over Houston and Philadelphia who aren't very good teams. I don't know what the situation would have been like if the weather was better. We did see a game in which Baker Mayfield had to, not necessarily had to rely on the pass, but he's able to take advantage of it. Yet, how did he throw most of those touchdown passes? How did he complete a lot of those passes? He threw that pickup big yardage, something we've seen throughout the season, not just on against Tennessee, is via the play action. He is someone who is reliant on a strong running game. He is someone who needs a running back like Nick Chubb and throw in a guy like Kareem Hunt to have all this sort of success as a passer because you make running this huge threat and all of a sudden you turn to play action and you have guys wide open on the field and they're able to make plays and score touchdowns in a lot of situations and that's not necessarily a huge knock against Baker Mayfield and whether he can be a viable passer for the Cleveland Browns because I think he can and this showed that he can do that and he can lead the team to success and I think he is capable of leading this team to success going forward I think just a recent example of something like this is with the Tennessee Titans last year in the playoffs and even the San Francisco 49ers. Well, Ryan Tannehill, I'm a huge fan of him. I know you don't like him as much in the playoffs. They just relied on Derrick Henry running the ball and Tannehill didn't have to do a whole lot. And Tennessee wound up pulling off two big upsets to make the AC championship game. Jimmy Garoppolo did the same kind of thing. Didn't have to do a whole lot passing. They were able to rely on the running game, particularly Raheem Mostert, and they wound up going to the Super Bowl. Now, I really hope the Browns don't go all the way to the Super Bowl, but I, 
think that they are capable of going on a deep run because of that rushing attack. So while I don't think that Baker Mayfield is establishing himself as a top quarterback in the league, I think he's kind of getting to the point where it's like, this is the kind of guy that in this situation, he can lead Cleveland to success. And maybe he's not a top five, top 10 quarterback in the league, but in the end, he could be a top five, top 10 quarterback standing when it comes to the postseason. I'll, I'll, and my rebuttal is that I just I I think it's a two team race uh, in the AFC. I think it's the Chiefs, Steelers, and it's a drop off to those teams. Now I know the Bills and the Browns, like we just talked about, have been doing pretty well in other teams in the AFC. But I I still think it's a two. I think those two teams are just too far ahead of everybody um, for to for any of those other teams to make a legit run. You know, I, but that's just my opinion, though. Hey, I, I'm not I know saying it's too I'm going to pick the Browns to beat the Steelers or the Chiefs in the playoffs, or maybe even in the like the Bills or the Titans, Colts, whoever they play in the wild card round. But I wouldn't have picked the Titans to beat both the Patriots and the Ravens in the playoffs last year, and that happened. That's so. a good point. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have either, especially since Belichick is always known for uh, taking out the other team's best player, and the and that was clearly Derrick Henry, and. Derrick Henley still was amazing in that game and had what 200 rushing yards and, and or so and so yeah that I didn't expect that either no and I, I think um going forward now that Baker Mayfield has had this game I think it's going to be uh just something to watch how he reproduces this so their next game Baltimore Ravens at home Monday night football I don't know what Cleveland's fan situation is Uh, it's kind of hard to keep track of what teams are still allowing fans whose aren't but that's a situation where you think that Cleveland's going to be all up for this game and Baltimore has been shaky I know they beat the Cowboys last night but it it seems like this is a situation where Cleveland could be primed for a letdown and Baltimore could be ready to pounce. So I think if the Browns are able to win that game, then that's going to be a huge testament to them going yeah, forward. That, yeah, that that would definitely be a confidence boost. I would have said, I remember week one, the it was it was Cleveland versus Baltimore, right? Yeah, week uh, one. And, and Baltimore just destroyed Cleveland. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I, I figured by this point when that matchup came again, I, I would have said all oh, Baltimore should, would be easily favored and uh, Cleveland would uh, come back down, and that still can't happen. They definitely could still come back down to earth, but I think it's going to be a much closer game than I would have said weeks ago. Just because, just because of the way those two teams are trending right now. With yeah, I know, like you said, Baltimore did win yesterday versus the Cowboys, but it's it still looks shaky, and I Browns are definitely moving in the right direction. Yeah, and then after that, the Browns play back to back road games against the Jets and the Giants and they host the Steelers so it's a it's a four game stretch where it it feels like the Browns can continue winning uh and that could bode well for them heading into the playoffs so uh I think you know we'll we'll see to what extent they can take advantage of uh Baker Mayfield and his ability to help this team win uh given that they maintain a strong running performance so uh let's keep it in the AFC North and the Pittsburgh Steelers were the last unbeaten team in the league, winning their first 11 games. And a few of their victories lately have been shaky, and it it kind of felt inevitable that uh, some team was going to trip them up, and it happened to be the Washington football team, who uh, came back from 14-0 down late in the second quarter to win 23-17. And 
uh, a big question that's been floating around uh, both local and national media regarding the Steelers in recent weeks, and particularly uh, following this performance against Washington, is can the Steelers win the Super Bowl without a run game? Only 21 yards on 14 carries against Washington. They haven't had a 100-yard performance. Uh, they've had one against Jacksonville. Since, Other than that, they haven't had one since their Week 6 win over the Cleveland Browns. Uh, so is that something that, how, without it, they have no shot at winning the Super Bowl? So yeah, to answer that question of can the Steelers win the Super Bowl without a running game, I would definitely say no. I I'm not saying that they need to uh, pound the rock 40 times a game, but uh, they got to rely on the running game a little bit better. I think they're relying way too much on the pass right now. Now, maybe for good reason, because uh, I think James Conner, even though uh, he was pretty, I think he was playing pretty well from week two to week, I think eight, uh, up, up until basically the Cowboys game. Uh, he was playing pretty well, but from since the Cowboys game to now, uh, I, I know I know he had co- he was out with COVID the last game, but even before that, he definitely wasn't doing a great job. And and then even Benny Snell in his place uh, hasn't been great. But regardless, I still think they need need a little bit. Uh, they need to rely on the running game a little bit more. I think they're relying too much on the pass, and uh, I I think. They're going to need that to beat a team like Kansas City uh, if they were to meet meet in the AFC Championship game. So I'm, my answer to your question is definitely, definitely no as well. I think it's easy to just say, no, you can't win a Super Bowl to run a game. You need to have some sense of balance in your offensive attack, even though it's a passing league. Uh, you need to at least have a threat to be able to beat a team on the ground. Uh, and I, I think that I agree to that to an extent. Uh, like you said, the Steelers don't need to all of a sudden reverse course. I think they had 53 pass attempts and only 14 rush attempts. They don't need to all of a sudden you know, run the ball more than they pass or even come close to it. But at the same time, I think that they're, the way that they've been passing it to basically substitute the run, you have those like little screen passes out to receivers. You do these little two, three-yard pickups, just pick up a few yards at a time can work to be able to to have a an offense that kind of resembles a balanced attack as long as you have a deep passing attack. And that's not something that the Steelers have had. We saw Ben Roethlisberger throw a couple deep balls to James Washington in this uh, game against Baltimore. One of them was a 50-yard touchdown. So he also there broke was some free on, on that play as he well. He did. It yeah, wasn't really he, a deep pass, but... Well, it, he it resulted that 15, in the 20 yards is kind of what right. we're talking about here. Basically, they need to if you're going to say that our run game is throwing the ball two, three yards in front of the line of scrimmage and letting receivers get out and run. The pass game can also be that Like you need to have a balance when it comes to the offensive consistency uh, in terms of like how you're going to pass the ball, because there, there's just no creativity right now. And the, the Steelers' offensive coordinator, Randy Feekner, is is horrible. Uh, I know that you know back in uh back in the day, well, like with the killer bees, a lot of people talk about how did the Steelers never win a Super Bowl? And it's it's easy to say that you know guys' egos got in the way. Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, they cared more about themselves and the team, whatever. But a large part of that was Todd Haley just Todd wasn't Haley, a great offensive right. coordinator. And yeah, he got so much crap when he was there, whether that yeah. was for good reason or not. And <laughs> I, I think it was got for crap good every reason. single week. 
And Randy Feekner hasn't really been an upgrade. He's someone who is, I, I think he's been a great quarterback coach for Ben throughout his career, but he's not been a fantastic offensive coordinator. And, uh, you know, it, if they're not going to find success on the ground, which I think you're going to see a little more of that moving forward with James Conner and hopefully Marquise Pouncey coming back from the COVID list starting this week against Buffalo, uh, there's still going to have to be something to get a spark on this offense. Just a lot of it does come down to receivers catching passes. It, way too I'm, many I'm, drops the past two weeks. I'm basically, but. I'm basically just saying it can't be non-existent. I think yeah, James Conner needs to get, 14 15 carries a few catches out of the backfield and 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 like you said with the passing game it doesn't even need it it can be those short intermediate routes uh especially at the goal line where they've gone to claypool a ton of times remember that game where he had four touchdowns and and some of those touchdowns were not they, they were they were just short passes to the claypool where the receivers were in front of them to block the other uh, I think it was the Eagles that they were playing in that game. And, yeah, and uh, it works when you do that on occasion. But when it's every single time, like that is like your effective run game. Like that's what you're going to go to. Defenses start to figure it out. And we saw Washington, Chase Young and Montez Sweat were just celebrating coming off the field after the win saying Baltimore exposed stuff. And yeah, Baltimore, Bal- even though the Steelers beat Baltimore, they didn't look good in that game either. No. I think. B- B- even Baltimore, even with a lot of practice squad guys, they almost won that game. No, and the, the reason why is because the Ravens played a great defensive strategy. They they weren't going to go in and just send blitzes all the time. They just stuck to the same kind of four-man pass rush, and they know that Ben Roethlisberger is going to try to do those quick throws. So the goal is to you know get your hands up, tip the ball at the line, something that has happened a lot this season because defenders are prepared for it. And when they do give up passes, you get tackled right away. Juju Smith-Schuster. Seven catches for 28 yards against Washington. Like, he's supposed to be your number one receiver, and he's all he's doing is making plays for just a few yards at a time. Uh, their game against Baltimore, Johnson and Smith-Schuster were the first two receivers in Steelers history to have eight catches in a game, but fewer than 50 yards. Never happened before. Two guys did it the same game. And that, that's just not going to win. Like, you're not going to be able to pick up all these, like, little kind of chunk yards uh, passing the ball every single time. You need to have either an established running game or an established deep passing attack. And the Steelers aren't going to be able to win the Super Bowl without one of those. Ideally, you have both. You have a full, complete offense. But, uh, you know, we've seen them have some success when they go to that empty set and they have those five receivers out there and they're, they're able to move the ball, but eventually teams start to figure it out. And what worked early in the season isn't necessarily going to work in December. So, uh, you know, if the Steelers want to live up to those expectations that fans have started to have after winning their first 11 games, it, the offense needs to figure it out because this defense is too good for them to have all of these offensive weapons and still not play any better than they did when Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges were playing quarterback last year. I mean, it's definitely not trending right for them at the moment with the loss versus Washington just a couple days ago. And you also lost Bud Dupree. Mm-hmm. Uh, last yeah, week. after losing and Devin Bush earlier in the season, it's, so many defenders have gone down. Exactly. And how do you how do you feel about their chance right now? I, I know it's again too early, but how do you feel about their chances right now if they were to face KC in the AFC Championship game? Just because not only was that a, kind of a bad loss, but they have been struggling a little bit in the past couple of games. And I don't, I definitely don't think they're a fraud team, but I think they've 
they've certainly benefited from really easy schedule. Uh, I think the only, in my opinion, the only impressive wins I think they've had all year were on the road, back to back versus Tennessee and Baltimore, but not like, Cleveland, thirty-eight to seven. Oh, that was yeah, that that was good. That was definitely a. I mean, now that Cleveland's a lot better, maybe that was a good win as well. So, I'll give them credit. I'll give credit for that. But I think they're. I think the other two wins were better. Yeah. So I, I guess to, just to answer your question about Kansas City, I the Steelers at their best can absolutely beat the Chiefs. There's no doubt in my mind. The Steelers, even far from their best, I think, are capable of doing that because they have a great pass defense. But with the way that the offense has played the past two weeks, they're not going to be able to keep up with Kansas City, even with uh, the the defense they have. They need to be able to outscore the Chiefs. Doesn't necessarily mean they are going to have to beat them like forty five to forty two, but twenty eight to twenty four at the very least. Uh, I know that Kansas City's offense itself hasn't maybe been as prolific uh, as some people want to believe. Uh, you know, they only beat the Broncos twenty two to sixteen. The, on Sunday Night Football, so I, I'm not looking at this team and saying, "Oh, it's over." Like they it's, can't there's beat no chance because but... of this one game, but uh, just because most of the season, I've definitely felt like they can, especially if the game is in Pittsburgh. And if you're going to lose a game, lose the NFC, Washington. Like they own the tiebreaker to this point, so uh, I, I feel confident still. But it starts to slip more and more. Like I need to see this offense do something. They can't have all these drop passes. They can't run for under 50 yards every single week they can't uh just have this like bland passing attack that they have that defenses are figuring it out needs to shake something up i don't know how to do it i don't know what the the easy answer is i think there are a few possibilities they just got to figure out which one works and ride with it so i don't know what about you do you think the Steelers can meet kansas city um i mean at the moment i would definitely take i've i mean i've Always thought Kansas City was better than Pittsburgh, but I agree. Uh, Same, but I don't think there's no shot for Pittsburgh either. I think, like you said, if they're playing their best football, then yeah, I and they can definitely be Kansas City. But I also agree that I don't think it would be like a 45-42 game. It would be like a 28 to 24 game where they got they got to get some production out of the defense versus a prolific offense uh, in KC. Absolutely. So this is a huge, uh, huge week having to play at Buffalo on Sunday night football. You know, the Bills are going to be ready for that. They've been playing really well lately. Uh, This is a kind of, I don't want to say make or break moment, but this is something where if the Steelers pull out this win, then all of a sudden people kind of stop. They they, they settle down on their like worst 11-0 team, like, oh, they've been exposed, all this stuff. But if the Steelers go out and they don't play well against the Bills, then you're not going to stop hearing that, and confidence is only going to get lower. It'll definitely be a game to watch. And for in terms of Josh Allen, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a, a hater or anything, but I'm – I've been kind of lukewarm on Josh Allen and wanting to see him clean up uh, the mistakes a little bit more, improve each year as a passer. And versus the Niners, that was the best game I've ever I've seen Josh Allen play in, in the league. I, th- I think it was tremendous. Yep, and he so won. It's gonna be a good game versus Buffalo. He won AFC Offensive Player of the Week over Baker Mayfield because of it. De- so. And he deserved deserved to. <laughs> yep. Yeah. All right, uh, let's move on to our next question, and that's, uh, let, let's now focus on the Steelers' opponent in this one, the Washington football team. And they're not the only team. Uh, the New York Giants as well pulled off a huge road victory when they knocked off Seattle. So 
for most of the season, it's been a joke when you talk about the NFC East, you know, whether a team is going to make the playoffs with like a six and 10 record or worse, and you know, whether they even deserve to get in. All of a sudden now, both of these teams are playing really solid football. They're both five and seven. And I think it's, it's getting people to start wonder, you know, is a team from the NFC East capable of like actually making a playoff run? Before I answer the question, what constitutes as a run? Like winning one game or legitimately contending for a Super Bowl? I think, you know, let's have your answer kind of be around that. Okay, because if in terms of winning one game, I can definitely see. So if it were an NFC East team versus the top wildcard team, and I, I, I think that can be the Bucks because I don't think the Bucks will overtake the Saints in the division, but I think they can run the table even though they've looked looked pretty bad lately so they would go 11 and 5 if that were the case and I think the Giants could beat the Bucks and because they they uh, a few weeks ago they almost, they almost beat did. them and they almost did in the Meadowlands and uh, I and they started out I think 0 and 5 and they've won mm-hmm. now they've won five of their last seven games and they beat a Seattle team on the road uh, which I know they're struggling at the moment but that's that's not a that's not a joke on win. That's a great win for the Giants. And they were double-digit underdogs versus a team that has Metcalf and Lockett and Wilson throwing to those guys. And uh, a Seattle team a Seattle team there with a defense that has been mostly suspect this year, but they've been improving of late. And they, the Giants won on defense with Colt McCoy at quarterback as well, too. So uh, I think Giants or, or the football team, wh- whoever wins that division, I can see him winning a game with whoever they face in the the wild card round. So, but in, but in terms of Super Bowl, no, def no chance. So I, I think the one thing I kind of would be careful about this question is like obviously on any given Sunday, any team can find a way to win a football game. So can any of these teams win a game in the playoffs? Sure, why not? Uh, but yeah, I we, think we saw the we saw the Seahawks at seven and nine beat the eleven and five Saints. Many years ago in the beast mode game, so, we did. Yeah, yeah and in... it can happen. But in terms of a run, I still, I still would need to see more from either the football team or the Giants because I, I'd imagine it's gonna be one of those two teams. So that was back in in 2010. Uh, we also in 2014 saw the seven eight and one Carolina Panthers pull out a win, although their the victory over the Cardinals was not as as big as it sounds because Arizona was out Carson Palmer and they they weren't playing a their their best football after that happened but I think so the way that I was looking at this question is really not just can a team pull out a win but can they actually contend you know whether it's for a Super Bowl or even just you know in the NFC championship game is this a team that can not only pull out a win but maybe pull out a scare in the division around and maybe have a shot to to pull out a couple wins and I think the answer is yes I think that both of these teams are playing well right now and this is a time when it matters. And it's, it's easy to kind of look at Washington and the Giants winning streaks before this week and say, okay, well, Washington beat the Bengals and Joe Burrow got hurt in that game. They had no chance after that. They beat the Cowboys who were playing Andy Dolan at quarterback. We know that Dallas has been a mess. They've dealt with a lot of issues throughout the season. 
And you look at the Giants and say, okay, they beat Washington head-to-head, and then they beat the Eagles, who, uh, you know, at the time, I think we were still kind of like, okay, they're, they're still kind of good, and they, they've been a train wreck ever since. And then they beat the Bengals at while uh, Burrow was already out. Brandon Allen's playing quarterback. But Washington goes out and beats Pittsburgh on the road. The Giants go out and beat Seattle on the road. And both of these teams, you're starting to kind of think, okay, you know, why are why is their record so poor? Like, and I, I look at the Giants, and I realize going back at early in the season, I know we said they started 0-5, 1-7. But if you look at a lot of their losses, they lost to the Bears when they had uh, ball down four points at the Chicago 10-yard line when they threw an incompletion to end the game. The Rams, they were down by eight points when Daniel Jones threw an interception in the red zone to end the game. The Cowboys, they lost on a field goal as time expired that barely went in. They could have easily pulled that one out. They lost to the Eagles when Carson Wentz threw a touchdown pass to Boston Scott with 40 seconds to go for Philly to go up by one. And they lost to the Bucks when they scored a late touchdown but failed yeah, on the, the two-point conversion. The Giants conversion. have had, I mean, I know you just said it all, but yeah, they've had a ton of one-score losses. Yeah, so their record could easily be better. I know some of their wins, you could say the same thing, that they could have gone the other way. But they've, they've had performances against good football teams where they've played well. And that it, it kind of all came together this week against the Seahawks. As for Washington, their pass rush is legit. They have an amazing front four, and their pass defense is one of the best in the league because of that. And when you talk about winning in the NFL these days, one of the keys to victory is being able to stop the pass because so many teams are very heavily pass-oriented. And I absolutely think that both of these teams are capable of pulling out a win at home against a wild card team. And then from there, you know, I, I don't know if I would necessarily pick them to beat the Saints, but let's say picking them the Rams. against the Rams or the Seahawks or even the Packers. Like, I think that they're they're capable of pulling out two wins. And I wouldn't necessarily predict it to happen, but the way both these teams are playing... I, I feel confident in them. And the Packers haven't had great playoff history versus the Giants as well. No, they haven't. So that that feels, I mean, Brady hasn't either. If you talk about Bucks giants like there's, it, it's, I don't know. I don't know if I'm trying to talk myself into the this division being better, Washington being better because they beat Pittsburgh, but it feels like these teams both have really solid defenses. And in Washington's case, they have a, a veteran quarterback in Alex Smith who he's starting to play really well. He's someone who's he's come all the way back from injury, but he's actually had success for this team, and he's someone who has at least a postseason history. Uh, I know he has more losses than wins, but I think that – uh, that that's something that could prove valuable when you talk about Washington heading into he's a not, he's not game. A, he's not a flashy guy at all, but he he's had a remarkable season given what he's gone through and deserves to win comeback player of the year and and he played played great versus Pittsburgh and uh, so I, I can I can maybe jump on that opinion a little bit more, but. I mean, I just looking at the records alone makes me pause. Uh, no, I, a that's good fair. It does sound crazy. And, and there's wow. there's a ton of firepower in the NFC as well, with not just the Saints, but like you said, the Packers and the Rams, the Seahawks, and so on. And just, I think there's just too many teams for the Giants or the football team to overcome after the wild card round, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I agree that the NFC has uh, a lot of teams that are up there when you talk about who the best are we've we've had this question plenty of times is like trying to figure out who actually is the best team and uh that's a good segue into our next question so we talked about the giants beating the seahawks so now 
Are the Rams a bigger threat in the NFC than the Seahawks? A month ago, I wouldn't I wouldn't have agreed with this, or I would I would have said no. I, I still would have gone with the Seahawks, but the way the way uh, both these teams looked this past weekend and a couple other past weeks, I I think the Rams are. I I would say yes to that question. I think the Rams are currently a bigger threat in the NFC than the Seahawks, just because uh, the 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 Rams win versus the Cardinals was impressive and. I know I'm not a Jared Goff guy whatsoever, but he took he took a lot of ownership for the loss versus San Francisco at home, and and he knew he needed to play better, and he and he did versus uh, versus a, a good Cardinals team, maybe a little bit overhyped, but they're definitely a good team, and uh, I like Cooper Cup and Robert Woods a lot, and their defense is one of the probably at, at least the top five, maybe one of the best in the league, and Aaron Donald is is awesome, and uh, I. I'm a believer in Jean McVay as a coach as well, so I think there's definitely enough there uh, for the Rams going well for the Rams right now, and I, so I would I would say yes to that question that the Rams are a bigger threat at the moment. Yeah, I thought this is a question where we we're going to end up disagreeing with each other, but I, I, I'm I, with for you the longest the time I would have I would have still said the Seahawks, but and they played each other just a few weeks ago, and the Seahawks were a mess in that game, and Russell Wilson could not have played worse. And that that a lot of credit goes to the Rams uh, for playing great defense in that game. So yeah. I I have to say the Rams. I, I, I can't think of many good reasons at the moment for the Seahawks uh, for, for being a bigger threat. You know, you you you've spent a lot of time talking about the Rams, and I agree. Jared Goff, he's had some bad performances this season. He's had a lot of games that make you say this is one of the worst contracts in football, and he's had other other games like Arizona this week where. He threw for 351 yards, and he completed 78% of his passes, and he had the Rams in control of this one. And I, I think that it just goes to show that L.A. is they're, – they're not, like, falling apart like a lot of us expected them to when Todd Gurley was released, and they, they had to hand out all this money, and it looked like they had all these horrible cap concerns. The, the thing is, they still have talent. I don't know when all that's going to catch up to them, but it's not yet. And they still have a really good head coach in Sean McVay. And I, I think that the way that the Rams are playing right now, it's it's easy to kind of overlook them. They're pulling out wins in games that I don't necessarily expect them to win. They're winning games on the road. Like Arizona, Cardinals they, are fading. They, beat, they also beat the Bucs. The Bucs yeah, on they the might road. might be a front yeah. team, but that's still a good win on the road. Absolutely. I mean, you're you're winning in prime time and a, a game on the road against a team that a lot of people would absolutely say is a bigger Super Bowl contender than you. Uh, Arizona, they've been fading. They've lost a lot of their games recently. I think it's up to like five out of the last six or something. And then and, without uh, the DeAndre Hopkins Hail Mary. Yeah, and they a much bigger losing streak. They uh, it was a game where it felt like they had to win, and the Rams were able to come out. And I know Arizona scored late, but they had a seventeen point lead on them, and it was just a few minutes to go in that one, and they they just broke it open because. You look at their rushing attack, and it, it's changed throughout the season who the prominent guy in their backfield is. And I think early in the season, you saw a lot of Mark Malcolm Brown. Then you had Daryl Henderson Jr. Lately, it's been Cam Akers, and Akers had a lot of the workload. He scored a touchdown. Daryl Henderson only had a few carries, but his last one, a 38-yard run that put the Rams up by 10, which is 10 minutes ago. And then from there, they got a, a huge pick six off Kyler Murray to effectively put this game away. So I really like what the Rams have going. You talk about their offense. Their defense is Aaron Donald, who most people would probably say is the best 
defensive player in football. Uh, T.J. Watt but, for defensive player of the year. Jalen Ramsey is in the conversation for defensive People, player of the year. If it weren't yeah. for, I would say T.J. Watt is the win. If I were to pick right now, I would say T.J. Watt should win it. But I think Jalen Ramsey is definitely in the conversation and is having a much better year in L.A. than he did uh, for the half of last year. Half part. Of yeah, last year. he's he's been awesome this year. I think he's someone you kind of forgot about, and he had all this like hype drama in Jacksonville. Jacksonville yeah, yeah. it's like all this stuff like off the field and in terms of like the way he was like really full of himself and he did that I think GQ interview before the 2018 season after they went to the NFC championship game and uh, it kind of felt like you forgot just how great Jalen Ramsey is so to me when I look at the Rams they're complete on both sides of the football as for the Seahawks though it's, it's not just about LA it's about Seattle and Russell Wilson, like the start of the season, it was oh thought, Russell Wilson's never got an MVP vote. This I thought he was, a, I thought it was a lock. I'll admit, I thought it for sure. It was fourteen it was touchdowns in the, that he's in gonna the win first the MVP three weeks. Award. Yeah, it felt like it. I mean, if you look at so through the first seven games of the season, so it ended with uh, their win over the San Francisco 49ers. So he had twenty six touchdowns, so only seven interceptions, and in those seven games, he was only sacked nineteen times. And the Seattle Seahawks had a six and one record. Five games since, six touchdowns, five interceptions, 21 sacks, and Seattle's two and three. Their offense is just not doing what they need to do, and their defense has not been great. I know yeah. they're maybe looking a little better, but but, know, but they've Jamal also Adams played healthy. they've also played Wentz in the Eagles and then Colt McCoy in the Giants. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know how much you can take away from that. Exactly, and I I I wanted to say the Seahawks. But there's too much going in the wrong direction for them right now, and like you said, their offense has not been uh, exactly perfect of lately, of late, and their defense has been a little bit better. But they're not exactly facing great competition uh, in the, the past couple weeks in terms of in terms of the offensive side of the ball. And yeah, and- yeah, I, I I have to pick the Rams. Seattle's next two games are against the Jets and Washington, so those are two teams and I know I, I'm, I'm hyping up Washington but like their their offensive attack right now is not prolific by any means Jets certainly is not but then they, they play the Rams again and they play that one at home week 16 I think that's a game that's going to end up being on uh like a nationally televised like a, a, game. Fox, a Fox Fox Joe Buck, Aikman yeah well right now it's Dallas Philadelphia there's no way to keep that so they're, they're definitely going to flex this game into it and the whole nation will get to watch this one we'll, we'll get to know then how these two teams really stand like who we can feel good about if the Rams can pull out another win or if Russell Wilson can step up and try to get hot when it matters I think the only way that Seattle can go on a deep postseason run is if Russell Wilson kind of has a Joe Flacco 2012-esque postseason performance because the defense just isn't where it needs to be and with the way he's playing it's it's hard to envision him being able to pull that out at this point i mean i've always i've I've thought that uh case for a a long time with russell wilson that if he he needs to basically carry the entire team uh for the seahawks to have a chance of winning the super bowl again or else uh, i i'm not super confident in their chances because I, I've said this before. I mean, look at last year's team, even though they almost made the NFC championship game. I mean, outside of him, Metcalf and Lockett, there's not a lot to like about that team. It's, it's a super top, it's super top heavy in terms of talent. And it's a big drop off, especially on the defensive side of the ball outside of Bobby Wagner and, uh, 
Now Jamal Adams. And Jamal Adams, right. Last yeah. Year. Yeah, I know their their running attack has has had a lot of issues with guys staying healthy. You know, if if Chris Carson can stay on the field, Carlos Hyde, and uh, even like DJ Dallas, like they're they're able to kind of get some consistency in their rushing attack. Then maybe it's not as much on Russell Wilson, but the Seahawks need to let Russ cook, and I don't know if he's cooking the best uh, meals right now. So, put <laughs> up. All right, um, so let's. Uh, Let's move on to our next question, and let's kind of go back to the NFC East here. So uh, a few weeks ago, it seemed like the Eagles were maybe not necessarily running away with the division, but they were at least in a comfortable lead, uh, that they were playing the best of the worst. Well, that hasn't been the case in the past few weeks, as they've now lost four straight games, and they uh, made a big change uh, during their loss to the Green Bay Packers on Sunday that they announced will continue when they take on the New Orleans Saints this week, and that's Jalen Hurts will be starting at quarterback ahead of Carson Wentz. So the question is, are the Eagles making the right move by starting Hurts? Yeah, it's definitely time to make the move to Jalen Hurts, and even though I'm definitely more defensive and Wentz's case than than you he's he's just been so he's been so bad of late that I I can't even I can't defend him much anymore and I I think the the, they're only two games out of the NFC East even though they're three and one they're not that far out of of the division and they got to find some sort of spark uh, to get them back in the race and I think the way to do that now is to see what they got in Hurts and if he's good, then yeah, obviously keep him as a starter and find out what you can do with once in the off season. But it, it's going to be a tough test for him, though, facing a New Orleans team that is one of the best in the league. And their defense had a shaky start to the season, but they've been they've been awesome of late. And I, I have I there's no way I could support Wentz's case uh, at the moment right now. And I I do blame the coaching and the offensive line more than you probably would, but. Uh, he's he's made too many costly mistakes and turnovers of late for me to uh, say that he should still be the starter. So I th- I would say yes. I think it's time to move to Hertz at the moment. Yeah, the Eagles have been really bad the past few weeks. There's there's no uh, overlooking that, and a lot of the issue has been Carson Wentz. Uh, he's had easily his worst season of his career, and Philly is three eight and one for a lot of reasons, but Wentz's play certainly has not helped them out. So I think when you, like you said, the the Eagles are still kind of in contention in the NFC East. They probably need to win their last four games to be able to actually win this division at this point, just given how well New York and Washington are playing. But I, I think that the only chance of that happening is if Jalen Hurts takes over for Carson Wentz. So I'm I'm totally support that idea. I get why the Eagles want to do that and why they want to take a shot at winning this division, making the playoffs, seeing if Jalen Hurts is that guy moving forward. The only issue that really you can have with this is the fact that Carson Wentz has $109 million in guaranteed money over the next four years. And it's 
it, that brings into questions moving forward. What do you do with Wentz? If if Hertz is your guy and he helps this team win, then that's awesome. You can figure out the money later. But that feels like such an impossible contract to trade, right? Like Yeah, probably. I mean, I don't know how the I'm not an expert on how the cap works in the NFL if if you if you can trade a guy and the other team can pay a certain amount or if it's they'll, the entire yeah, contract take some of it um I, I think but it's, in terms but it's of still like the signing it's, bonus it's a, that goes against it's a ridiculous Philly, contract that hasn't even started yet yeah so yeah and- I'll admit it's it's not it's 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 very it's gonna be very difficult for the Eagles to trade him if if they even can yeah I just I I think that's really the issue here is you're kind of stuck with him you know, maybe they can find a trade partner. I think the one team that's kind of been thrown out that maybe makes sense is the Colts because Frank Reich, their head coach, he was the Eagles offensive coordinator during their Super Bowl run in 2017. Uh, you know, during Carson Wentz's almost MVP season before he tore his ACL in December. So that's the only situation where I can maybe see like that's a team that would be willing to take it on and go from there so i would i would agree with you in terms of the favor a favorite to land carson wentz if if he weren't to be on the philadelphia eagles next season but i mean maybe the patriots just because i don't i highly doubt cam newton will be the guy next season and i don't know if they can even draft a a quarterback they they can trust to start in their in the rookie season and i don't know if they have full confidence in jared stidham so Maybe, maybe New England, but I, I, I'm, I'm not super confident in that. I, I think, I think you're right that Indy would be the favorite still, though. There are probably a few teams you can throw out. You know, they'd have to have both the need for a quarterback, the no, not much of a desire to draft one, and the cap space. So I don't know how many teams necessarily fit that mold. But if Hertz doesn't look like that much of an improvement. And you, you're like, do you go back to Wentz? Can you go back to Wentz at this point? You've already benched him. Like, you're just destroying his confidence, and then you're hurting yourself even more going forward making this move. It's a risky thing. It's one where Hurts looked pretty decent against the uh, Packers when he came in. He threw an awesome touchdown pass on a 4th and 18 play that the Eagles absolutely needed. But... I, I I don't know. I, just, I do agree. It feels that, like there's a lot of long term uh, ramifications. Short term, yeah, go to Hertz. But long term, I do I do agree that if move. Hertz were to suck versus the Saints or uh, future games, if he was to remain the starter still, but so <laughs> yeah, I I don't I don't know if because if that were to happen, yeah, do you go back to Wentz and when his confidence is completely ruined at the moment? Yeah, it's it's a super difficult situation like not just for now not just for this the rest of the season but yeah beyond i I don't know i don't know how to handle it yeah i mean the eagles i i think they're gonna have to clean house i i really don't think that jalen hurts is gonna be plugged into the starting lineup and all of a sudden they're gonna go on a run and end up capturing the nfc east so get rid of gm howie roseman get rid of head coach doug peterson and see you know what you can do to try to piece together this team and maybe you can hope to salvage carson wentz's career at least in philadelphia that way but i don't know the eagles have a crazy amount of caps or over the cap heading into next season they're gonna have to do a lot of stuff to reconstruct this roster and i think i just i don't know i, I really question I, I just think, what philadelphia I think is gonna be able to do long term 
I think short term, it's it's the right move. Just I think they've gone with once long enough into the season where I think it's time to give Hertz a chance, especially if they draft him in the second round. But in terms of in terms of the off season, if if there's no team that could take Wentz's contract, I think I would just give him give him another shot at as a starter next season and hope you can he can regain some confidence and give some give him some more weapons uh, around that offense. Because I mean, just look at the receivers that they have. I, I talked I know I talked about it last week, but I mean, Jalen Rieger felt like a reach where they got him. They definitely could have taken Justin Jefferson, who has had a great year, but they didn't. And Deshaun Jackson's injured for the seventeenth hundred time, and their their best receiver is Travis Fulgham, who none of us have ever heard of until have, midway through the season. And he's I, he hasn't I, really been doing a whole lot. He hasn't been yeah, and he, and he hasn't and he's fallen fallen back down to earth in the past past few weeks or so. So I I think giving him a little bit more help, and then of course finding another coach that can uh, put Wentz in the best position. Uh, for next season i i i would if there's no team that could trade for him i would try to just try to work it out with him next season but in terms of right now i i think when i think hertz is the right guy it is incredible how fast he's fallen off because this is really his only bad season he was an mvp candidate before he got hurt but he was good the past two years that's the reason why i i tend to defend him probably a little bit more than you do is because i've i've seen what his upside is or what his best play is and that three years ago was him playing at an MVP level and if he didn't get hurt he I I I think he would have won MVP that season and I I agree with you he definitely would have won and he has a great unique skill set and I've talked numerous times about how much I don't like Baker and a lot of that is I'll admit is most because of his uh cocky attitude and I feel like Wentz is not that kind of guy. I feel like he's always remained the same uh, type of person, no matter how much success he's had in his career or how much bad bad play he's had in his career. I feel like, it, I mean, his confidence is dropping for sure a little bit right now, but I feel like he's remained the same type of person. And so I feel like I would. I'm I'm not totally giving up on him. If I were an Eagles fan, I'm I'm. But for this year, maybe. But beyond, I'm I'm holding out a little bit of hope for him. And I, I'm, I'm, I also like how Rodgers at the end of that game uh, gave him gave Aaron him the Rogers? pep talk and and Rodgers, yeah. At the end okay. of that Packers, I don't know Eagles if you're game. talking about Richard Rodgers. Oh no, Aaron Rodgers, yeah. yeah, yeah. He met, at, met met once after the game and gave him some confident uh, confident feedback and about because because he's a fan of the guy. So I, I don't want to come off as a once fanboy, but I feel like I, I tend to defend him a little bit more than other people do. Aaron Rodgers is trying to recruit him to Green Bay to to take <laughs> over for Jordan Love as his primary backup, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so let's get to our last question, and uh, we're gonna stay on the topic of uh, teams not playing well, and that is the Chicago Bears, who after starting five and one, suffered their sixth consecutive loss of the season, where they blew a. Comfortable 10-point lead to the Detroit Lions out of nowhere and ended up losing 34-30. to uh, Chicago's went from a team that was maybe a lot better than their record would have indicated, a team that you think, okay, they're potentially a real playoff contender here, to just an absolute disaster. Um, 
really on both sides of the football. So uh, our final question is, should Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace still have their jobs? Uh, I would I would lean no, but I would definitely lean more no towards the GM, of course, and I've said it a million times that I I thought the Trubisky pick was just that bad, especially give, especially not uh, taking guys like Mahomes or Watson in that draft and taking Trubisky. I think that was just that bad of a move. Now, in terms of Matt Nagy, uh, I, I've I've said I've said before that I don't think he's that bad of a coach. I think he's and he's won Coach of the Year before, so uh, he might not be in the conversation with guys like Belichick, Randy Reed, Sean Payton, McVay, and so on, but. I don't think he's stinks as a coach. I think I think he's just been dealt a bad hand with what he's surrounded with, and not just offensively, but uh, defensively. They've they've had some great years, but uh, it, it it's it hasn't been as amazing this year as a couple of years ago when they were a, won a division and they were looked like they were going to be a Super Bowl contender. But I, I think he's just been dealt a bad hand. But at the same time, maybe. It is time to move on, find a different guy, and and maybe he can be an offensive coordinator somewhere. So I lean no towards both guys, but a definite no on uh, their GM. They both need to go. <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll, they they absolutely both do. I, obviously, I agree with you on the Ryan pacing, and so the Chicago Bears have a hundred one year precedent of not firing guys mid season. So I think it's a long shot to actually see them fired before 2021. But there's no reason like how they both still have jobs after that Lions loss. It, it kind of speaks volumes to the bears ownership and their, their upper management and the way that they, they look at this team because this isn't 2018 anymore. That bears team that we saw have all the success. It, it's, it's a shell of itself today. And I've been, anti Matt Nagy like he is not a good coach I know he won coach of the year in 2018 but that was kind of a facade uh you think it's like Doug Peterson where yeah he had that one great Super Peterson. Bowl year but outside of that he's he stinks and I think a lot and of wears it a goofy is a visor. Where, yeah so in the case with Peterson he had uh um Frank Reich as his offensive coordinator I think in the case with Matt Nagy he had Vic Fangio as his defensive coordinator both of them are head coaches now and the, the Bears' defense, it's still been very good, but they're not the same as they were. Khalil Mack has not put up the same kind of performance as he did in 2018. Robert Quinn, who I thought was a great signing coming into the season, he's been a disaster. They have a lot of aging guys on defense, and the Bears gave up 75 points in the past two weeks against Green Bay and Detroit. So you can't even look at them and say, oh, their defense is still playing great. Like, they're still doing everything they can. It yeah, just that's, feels that's like why, this team That's why I paused for, for a second on the defense. I'm like, well, they are a good defense. Oh, wait, I don't know if they are. They've been pretty, yeah, pretty bad and, the last couple of weeks. And I know they faced Rodgers in one of those weeks, but it's they did not come, they did not show up in that game. It was over uh, after the first half, maybe even earlier. Yeah, so I've been down on Nagy. Like, I can go specifically to where I was like, all right, this guy needs to go. And I could be told I could be totally wrong about Matt Nagy that he week, he might just suck as a coach and, yeah, and it's not me, just Trubisky. So week eight, 2019, like this is this is Matt Nagy as a head coach and the Chicago Bears of the past three seasons in a nutshell. Uh 
So the Bears are trailing the Los Angeles Chargers 17 to 16. They're three and three. So this is a game where they, they, they need to kind of pull out a win in this one to try to get something going with their season to be able to get them to the point where they were like 2018 and they wound up winning division and made the playoffs. So the the Bears, uh, they're they're down in this game. They're driving. And Mitchell Trubisky has an 11-yard run to the Chargers' 21-yard line. This is with 53 seconds to go when the play starts. And then, so their next play, they've all in the 21. So that's, what, like a 38-yard field goal here? 39 yards? It's not a chip shot by any means you know it's it's one where you like most nfl kickers should be able to kick a field goal inside 40 yards but it's not a chip shot it's not something you should just be like oh yeah we have this in the bag like you'd want to try to gain some more yards try to get yourself closer for your kicker instead trubisky kneels the ball and then eddie pinero comes out for a 41 yard field goal and he hits it off the upright just like that's how close it was if you don't even lose that yard there that kick probably goes in if you gain just a couple more yards that kick goes in like it's just that that moment it's just like what are the bears doing what is matt nagy doing this guy sucks like he's not really a great head coach and in terms of ryan pace you know you can point to the mitchell trubisky draft yeah i I was i was just about to say that i'm i know i'm i'm more against the ryan pace uh, or bringing him back more than the coach. It's not just because of Trubisky. It's I mean, just looking at their drafts, they, they've only had one other first-round pick in the past few seasons, and Rokon Smith is good, but outside of that, their drafts have kind of sucked. Uh, the, Leonard the, Floyd is already gone. He was a first-round pick just a few years ago. Yeah, in 2019, their first, first pick was third-rounder David Montgomery, who I think is pretty average, and outside of that, they... They didn't get anyone in that draft, and and then this this past draft they got Cole Komet, who looks pretty decent, but and they got Jalen Johnson, but out, outside of those two, they they didn't have a pick till the fifth round, and I I think they've just had they've had very poor drafts uh, for the for several seasons now, and I just uh, I'm that's why I tend to say that Matt Nagy has been dealt a bad hand, but you but you've also just explained that he might just really suck as a head coach, and it's not just because of what he's what he's dealing with in terms of personnel yeah and I, I I do kind of agree to you to an extent with Matt Nagy maybe he could find success in a different situation and a lot of this issue with was with Ryan Pace but uh, I think that both like of an, them are pretty but, incompetent but like you said as an offensive coordinator on a different team yeah yeah sure and even then like i know he's the oc in kansas city how much of that was andy reed and eric Bieniemy that had all the success and like we don't even know to what extent doug, doug peterson he... was also an, an oc in, in kansas city as true well. and yeah you know we're starting to see him be exposed as a head two, coach two guys who uh, who used to have success uh as, as head coaches with goofy visors are now being exposed as not great head coaches yeah so let's let's uh, specifically talk about not just why they need to be fired but like why it should be now, like why they shouldn't be waiting. So let's start with Ryan Pace as a GM. So at this point, we've already seen four GMs fired midseason. Houston, Atlanta, Detroit, Jacksonville. Uh, in terms of other possibilities, I think the Eagles are going to clean house. I think the Chargers are going to clean house. Maybe it'd be a couple other teams, but no one that I'm like convinced is definitely going to. But let's just assume that that's what we're looking at. So you look at those first four teams, Houston, Atlanta, Detroit, Jacksonville. 
they have had a head start to this point on their GM search. They're already putting together search forums. They're doing what they need to do to be prepared to make this move as soon as possible. In Jacksonville, you have an organization that does not have a long history of success. They have an owner that is fairly incompetent, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> yeah, that's like, the nicest way to put it. You know, it. The, the Jaguars have had a lot of issues the past couple seasons, but you're likely going to get the number two overall pick in the draft, an opportunity to take a franchise quarterback to build around, and you also have a ton of cap space. In Houston, you don't have a first-round pick or a second-round pick this year. Uh, Bill O'Brien definitely dealt you a bad hand in that case, but you have Deshaun Watson. You already have a franchise quarterback. You have someone who you know can lead you to success, and from there, it's just figuring out what to do with the roster to get to the point where you can have success when you have draft picks and you have salary cap space in the near future. The other situations at land and Detroit, you have a franchise quarterback and Matt Safford and Matt Ryan, someone who is capable of winning games now, but They're they probably won't be around for a while. And... They're older. So right. you have an opportunity to come in and you have a guy in place and you don't necessarily need to rush and like you don't have to use your first round pick on a quarterback this year. You don't have to immediately make this move. You have time to kind of evaluate what you have with the rest of the roster, find areas to improve and get that guy later. So is it fair to say that all four of those situations are better than what Chicago has where you don't have a star quarterback? Like you don't Mitchell Trubisky's gone. Nick Foles is not your guy. You don't have a ton of cap space. You have an aging defense. Like is is any of those situations inherently worse than what the Bears have? No, I think you made a good case that all four of them, even Jacksonville. I mean, Jacksonville is just such a wasteland, but, but it if is you true can that get you're going to get, the, Fields, you're gonna get like... the number two picks and it'll likely be Justin Fields. and Or maybe even get the number one pick if the Jets maybe, somehow yeah. get to win a game. But I, the way that that, uh, that game ended versus the Vegas Raiders, maybe, maybe they're locked in for the number one spot. But... But regardless, they get the two pick, number two pick, and they get fields and yeah, ton of cap space where you can uh, help help upgrade the rest of the team. Um, so yeah, you're probably right that even so Jacksonville that's uh, four has spots. a better situation. Yeah, I mean, that, to me, Jacksonville is the best of those four just because of you know what you have to kind of look forward to. I know like the you know the organization itself has its issues, but that's that's four spots where you can say like they're probably more appealing than their Chicago job. The Chargers, you have Justin Herbert. That's more appealing than a Chicago That's probably job. the most attractive job just because Justin Herbert, even though I wasn't, I, mean, I definitely wasn't sold coming into the year because, I mean, he was been at, he's, he was at Oregon for all those years. And, I mean, he, he improved, but I don't feel like he made a huge leap at Oregon. But, I, but what we've seen this year, he's definitely a, a guy that can have a good career and the fact that he's playing as well as he's had this year up until the New England game, but yeah, the fact that he's played as well as he's had with Anthony Lynn just being pretty clueless as a head coach, uh, I, I feel like that's a really good situation. I, I can see someone like McDaniels going to LA because not just because of how, just because of the city, but also what they have uh, in LA at the quarterback position and other, in other spots as well. Yeah, and I, I think that's fair to say that, you know, that might be better than any of those four in terms of the best GM opening last one Philadelphia I don't know we just talked <laughs> about their their situation with Carson Wentz maybe the Bears job is better than that but the Bears is not necessarily a, an appealing job so the longer you wait 
the more great candidates are going to run out, the less time you're going to have for a guy to come in and be able to, to get the work done he needs to be able to turn this around. So that's the reason right there to fire pace. Is that, is that fair? No, I, no, I, you're convinced. Why delay the inevitable? I mean, I mean, I, I have, I've always thought that no, just wait till the year is over just so you can get a better position in the draft. And, but no, you're, you're making a good point that, that there are already teams out there like, uh, Detroit and others that are already, that already fired their coach and their, and their GM and already on, uh, the search for for candidates, especially when we talk about the KC uh, coordinator and Eric Bieniemy. He's, I mean, look how great the Chiefs' offense has been the past few years. I, I mean, he's probably the number one candidate to get a job uh, in terms of head head coach position, head coaching position. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I I, I agree. I I think uh, definitely can convince me that I think the time to move. It's time to move on now. Yeah, so I because guess you'll probably get a good position no matter what in the draft if you yeah, keep, so uh, if you keep playing well, the looking way looking at play. the the head coach situation. So the the Steelers have a similar mindset where they don't fire guys mid season. Uh, something that I think Dan Rooney has talked about in the past. You know when when he was alive, saying that if you fire a guy mid season and you know the interim replacement comes in and does a decent job, he he does better at some kind of improvement, then you might feel inclined to just hand him the full-time job as opposed to going through the full hiring process you know interviews and everything and make sure that you get the right candidate like that's a reason to wait until the season ends don't let someone else take over mid-season and I guess I understand the concept and I imagine that the Bears situation they kind of have similar feelings but if Chicago were to fire Matt Nagy you know let's just say after this next week so week 14 they play the houston texans at this point they're not going to fire him on a thursday so let's say after the texans game they fire him they'll have three games where i assume chuck pagano their defensive coordinator would be the interim head coach he was a head coach for six seasons with the colts uh their offensive coordinator bill laser doesn't have head coaching experience pagano feels like a natural choice there pagano is a defensive minded head coach and while it's fair to say Matt Nagy is an offensive-minded head coach that didn't work out very well, the Bears maybe should look at a defensive-minded head coach. Their defense is like it's it's the strong part of that team. Yeah, you got to find an a, offensive guy. Yeah, I I, I think so. There's whenever... no reason to think that Pagano would just be like their their top choice and like they'd have to go to him for full time. I I think when it comes to coaches, uh, I feel like. The head coach, they need to have. So for the Bears, I'd rather have an offensive guy because their defense, their defense is their strength of their team. And I mean, I mean, for one example, uh, the Bucks, Brady chose Brady chose Tampa, and I mean Bruce Arians is an offensive guy. I feel like he would be a better fit with Tennessee, where Mike Vrabel he runs the defense and Brady runs the offense. That, that's just one one random example I thought of, but. But yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, so I think it just it doesn't make sense to me to for that to be the reason not to just have someone else coach the team. And then what happens? So so the Bears. Play... So if if you took if if Chuck Pagan were to be the head coach of the Bears, okay, your defense could be better than it already is, but your offense is just trash. It's even worse. Yeah, than I agree. It, it would be right I now. don't think it's a serious thing that Pagano would would win. You know, he would just become the team's head coach after just three games but so the bears final four games are you know they, they play houston this week and then at minnesota at jacksonville versus green bay 
so Texans have been disappointing. I know they've they've played better of late, but they're still a four and eight team. Minnesota's been playing pretty well. They're six and six, but th- that's far from a you know it's a divisional rival. Like it's far from a game where you're like, oh, the Bears have no shot in this one. Jacksonville, you know, we talk about the Bears losing six in a row. The Jags have lost eleven in a row, and it doesn't seem like. And I know they almost beat Minnesota, uh, but it doesn't really seem like they're a huge threat. And then week 17, the Packers, we don't necessarily know what Green Bay is going to have to play for. So those are four winnable games. What happens if the Bears actually pull out a few wins down the stretch and all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, this team's actually better than we think it is. We're, we finished the season hot. You know, we didn't make the playoffs. We went eight and eight. We, we fought hard to the end. Well, it Let's means they're delaying the inevitable. Inevitable. Where they where where they they end up staying another extra season? Yeah, to just yeah, stink. exactly. And it, I think that's that's a big fear where it's like, just get rid of them now. Don't don't run the risk of that kind of thing happening because why would you believe that it would be any better if you just run it back next season just because of a couple weeks? So that that's my thought in terms of why the Bears should get rid of Pace and Nagy now. Don't wait. Uh, Realistically, I would I would I would have going said, to wait. I would have said get rid of pace <laughs> probably a year or two ago, but uh, but no, I I think you made a good case that they should be gone. All right, so that that's a lot of NFL talk for this week. Uh, let's let's wrap it up and let's move on and let's talk some baseball. So, MLB winter meetings are happening this week virtually because of the the COVID pandemic, but. This is still an opportunity for teams to make moves, whether it's making trades, signing guys. It's something we've seen a lot of in recent years. Last year, we had Steven Strasburg, Garrett Cole, and Anthony Rendon, who are arguably the three biggest free agents, sign deals at the winter meetings. Uh, They've been fairly quiet to this point. So I guess before we kind of get into that, what are your thoughts on baseball's off season and just a lot of the uncertainty surrounding the game heading into 2021. I think it's just like the product where I, I've I've said so many times in the past where the product is getting worse and worse and it's getting slower and slower by the year. I I feel like the winter meetings is I, I mean <laughs> I haven't heard of any any sort of news from in terms of the baseball winter meetings. I mean, do you remember? 10, 15 years ago, like how great the winter meetings used to be. Yeah. It was oh, like, they used to be so busy I mean, all the time. We just, we just had NBA free agency. And even during a pandemic, NBA free agency was still amazing. Yeah. It was, and there it weren't even a whole lot of years, top free agents out but there. Yeah, exactly. There were still plenty of top free agents going other places. And Woj Ronowski playing, putting up a, a ton of Woj bombs and seeing all these guys go to different teams. But in baseball, it's just it's just a, a slog when it comes to free yeah. agency. I mean, uh. just look at just look at a couple of years ago. Bryce Harper and Manny Machado are two of the five best players in the league. And neither of those guys sign until signed until, until yeah, exactly. Until in March. spring training started in like in March, a few weeks before the regular season even started. And that, that just shouldn't happen. There should be there should be so many teams knocking on the door to get those guys, but none of them got signed until March and one of them signed with the Padres. And I, I, a guy like Manny Machado shouldn't be, he sh- I know, I know they have a great farm system, but he, he should be on a team like the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Cubs, Red Sox, just high marquee teams. And it's, 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 it's it was disappointing. It's disappointing what 
uh, the baseball warmings has come to, where it's, it used to be nonstop, uh, just like the NBA, where so many guys were going to different places, and it was big news what you cared about, uh, whether if it was affecting your team or not. But now it's just a slog, and and it's just take it just takes forever to. Uh, for these teams to sign these guys and it's just like the product now where it's just too slow. I don't, I didn't, I can't seem to figure out why. Well, last year there was an increase in terms of guys signing early in the off season. We had a lot of guys sign in December. It wasn't like the past couple of years where you had a lot of guys waiting till January, February, March, uh, which a lot of that was just because I know the owners were reluctant to hand out a ton of money and I think this offseason, you know, obviously the pandemic's playing a role. There's a lot of financial uncertainty, especially if owners are going to have to have 162 home games with very limited capacity crowds. So uh, there's a lot of questions in terms of when teams are going to be able to start playing and what you're going to expect on the field. So it kind of makes sense to me with that. But then you also have little things like Major League Baseball is not announced yet whether or not the National League is going to have a designated hitter. They did in 2020 as part of the 60-game schedule where you played a third of your games against teams from the other league. And in 2022, it's expected that there's going to be a DH in the NL. But in 2021, it's like they're they're telling people or they're telling the teams, prepare like there's not going to be a DH. But the teams are like, how are we going to just have a DH, then get rid of it, and then bring it back next season. doesn't make any sense. But because of that, there's a lot of guys like a Nelson Cruz type who they only have half the league at their disposal in terms of where they can get the most money because they don't have to play in the field much, if at all. So I think it's little things like that that are going to cause this offseason to kind of move to a slow roll. In terms of winter meeting activities, I think really the White Sox have been the team that's been the the busiest as they traded for Lance Lynn starting pitcher from the Rangers sending Dean Dunning uh, who I think he just played one major league season this year and he was a guy who they acquired from the Washington Nationals a few years ago for Adam Eaton who was a free agent who they also signed to a one-year deal so the fact that those are the two biggest moves to this point has certainly been disappointing when you look at the winter meetings as a whole. But I guess yeah, kinda... th- th- those are good players. Lance Lynn has been a solid pitcher for a while, and Adam Eaton he was great in. Or I wouldn't say great, but he was a big part of why the Washington Nationals won the World Series. I mean, of course, it was you relied more on the starting pitching in Scherzer and Strasburg and and Corbin and other guys, but and, and then of course. Offensively with Rendon and and uh, and Adam Eaton, he was a he was a pretty big part of why the Nationals. He had a big home run in one of the games, right? I think so. I mean, Howie Kendrick definitely had the biggest home run in Game Seven, but yeah, but Rent, but played a good part, and it's a good signing for for the White Sox. Yeah, I mean, I I think that uh, Adam Eaton was a a big big piece for Washington um, but it's great that Chicago gets him back I was surprised when they traded him at the time and I mean just focusing on these two moves that the White Sox made so this is a team that was a six seed in the American League uh, this past season they or the, sorry they were the seven seed in the American League um, I don't so I'm like trying to remember I'm pretty sure they had 
the fifth best record and that they were only the seven seed because they were the third best in the AL Central. So they still technically would have made the playoffs in a normal postseason format. But they wound up losing to the Oakland A's in the uh, the wild card round. But this is a White Sox team that has a lot of young talent. They have a lot of veteran talent they brought in last season, like Dallas Keuchel and Yasmani Grandal. Look at the beard on Keuchel. <laughs> they showed that they weren't afraid to go out and get guys and make moves and try to build a winner. I know we made fun of the Tony LaRusso managerial yeah, and, hiring. And a, a, man, a managerial signing that makes still makes no sense to this day. <laughs> but, but, I mean, just, you know, obviously it was way too early to, to make any huge predictions. You still have to see... Uh, where some of the other top free agents are going to sign, what other moves are going to happen. Hopefully we'll start seeing a lot more in the coming days and weeks. But the White Sox are looking like a team that can be not just like a, another playoff team, but like they can be a legitimate American League World Series contender this year. Yeah, I mean, no disagreements. I just, I know we talked about this last time, but I, I, I just don't get the managerial signing just because, Larusso has a, he's he's been away from as a as a manager he's been away from the game for a decade and now you're expecting him to come back and be just as great as a manager and and try to relate to twenty year old Latino players I don't I don't know how that's a good fit at all still but but in terms of their talent uh, and their signings yeah they definitely can be a a playoff contender. Yeah, I, I like seeing Chicago make this move. They're a team that they won the World Series 15 years ago, and they had a, a f- couple years here and there where they were relevant and a, a playoff contender. But for the most part, in our lifetime, they have not necessarily been a great team. Yeah, you know, they've been they, overshadowed they had, by the Cubs in o- a lot. In 05, they were, I mean, they won the World Series. They were loaded. They were year. awesome that yeah. year. They had so, they were loaded. A loaded team. I, I think it's it's fun to see a team like the White Sox making these moves and being relevant. Um, so I, I I certainly think that they're they have to be right up there when you look at the American League as a whole, especially if we play a normal 162 game season. Um, certainly excited to see that. Uh, on the flip side, you know, it seems like a lot of teams have been either talking about or actively moving on from salary. There are a lot of guys that were non tendered and didn't receive contracts from their teams, which in a normal year would not be an issue. But given the pandemic, given teams claiming to have lost a ton of money, uh, they didn't feel like it was worth it. Uh, Some names, Brad Hand, reliever for the Indians, stands out, as well as Cardinal second baseman Colton Wong. And uh, there's one team that has had a lot of rumors about potentially looking to dump salary that could be a surprise, and that is the Philadelphia Phillies, who... We talked about Bryce Harper and how long he took to sign. Well, he wound up signing a monster deal with the Phillies. And there is this expectation that the Phillies were going to continue to amass talent, do whatever they can to build a winner around Bryce Harper. This team hasn't had a winning record since 2011. Even in a season where eight teams in the National League made the playoffs, the Phillies were left out, finishing, uh, I think, with like a 28-32 and record or something. So... What is your reaction to these thoughts? Like the Phillies are looking to trade Zach Wheeler, who they just signed to a five-year deal last offseason. I mean, it's just a disaster, especially with Bryce Harper. Uh, I mean, Bryce Harper, he goes to the Phillies, and then all of a sudden his former team wins the World Series without him. And now after two years in Philly, they're already trying to dump salary and, and, and get rid of him or get rid of that contract. And... I, that just that's another reason why I don't like 
baseball free agency as much as I used to. I, I, I know there have been big contracts in the past, but I think 13 years is, and all that money is absurd for just anyone, it's, especially Bryce Harper. And uh, NBA free agency, when they sign contracts, it's for four years. So players, after a few years, they can go to a different team um, after not a lot of time. But baseball free agencies, the top, or free agents, the top guys signing decade long deals, I, and especially at that kind of money, I think is dumb, especially in baseball where it's, one guy does it's not like in basketball where if you get guys like LeBron or or whomever if you have that one superstar it can completely change your team the outcome of uh your season but if you have the one superstar getting all that money it doesn't re- we just saw a couple, a year ago it doesn't really make your team that much better so i think it's <laughs> it's just a bad situation bad situation for Philadelphia teams apparently yeah <laughs> <With> big contracts <laughs> yeah i don't know which one i'd rather have I mean, I would definitely say Bryce Harper's contract. I still think that he's one of the best players in baseball. I think that if the Phillies were to really put him out on the the trade market, you know, kind of similar to what the Marlins did with Giancarlo Stanton a few years ago after signing him to a monster deal, there'd be a lot of suitors. And, uh, you know, any contending team would be crazy not to to look into acquiring him. But I think it just kind of shows the effects of, the the pandemic on sports even though we're still seeing teams play teams are still losing money because they're not having the normal ticket revenue they're not having all the normal merchandise and stadium purchases and all these ways that they're able to fund these uh you know giant contracts that they assign teams to and i think it's kind of sad just looking at the phillies this situation because they they're a team that it felt like, okay, they're on the verge of turning the corner. They were so bad for so long, and they're, they're getting so close, and they can't even break 500, let alone make the playoffs. And, uh, you know, their owner, John Middleton, later came out after, I think Buster only had the report about Zach Wheeler saying that he wouldn't trade Wheeler for Babe Ruth. Uh, just try to say, like, he's not going to move him, but it's, uh, it's sad that this is even being talked about with this team. And, you know, the... The uh, Philadelphia fan base, like you said, can't be too happy with what they've, they've seen from their sports teams in, in 2020. I mean, they got rid of the Horford contract. They and, did, true. The yeah, they, Sixers. <laughs> so there is one. There is hope yeah, to get rid right? of bad contracts <laughs> in Philly. Uh, all right, let's uh, let, let's uh, go over some just predictions. You know, some of the the top guys we think could sign in free agency, maybe some some potential trades. So you know, just want to kind of go back and forth and just just throw stuff out there. Um, I don't know if you have anything you want to get started with in terms of a, a big prediction you have. Yeah, uh, I got one. Um, so as obviously as a Red Sox fan, I care about what they do in their off season. Uh, and looking at what their starting rotation did this past season, I know they didn't have Eduardo Rodriguez and due to COVID and Chris Sale because of Tommy John and they traded price. So it was really just a Valdi and a bunch of Jags, uh, they're uh, there's there are rumors right now that they're aggressively uh looking in at another Japanese pitcher, not Daisuke Matsuzaka, but a guy uh I know I'm probably gonna pronounce this wrong, but Tomoyuki Sagano. I, I think they're gonna never get heard him. Of him. I th- I think yeah? I think uh I think there's a shot that they're gonna get this guy and I hope all my all I'm hoping for is it's not as annoying as the dice now i know dice k he helped the 07 team win a world series and all that but i thought i mean the hype was just way too 
it was way too high with the gyro ball and all that stuff. So, but regardless, I th- I think they should get this guy and uh, to help their rotation. And I don't know what other options they have in terms of uh, starting pitching. I know there have been rumors about getting Trevor Bauer, but I, I don't know how much they can improve uh, their rotation without looking uh not without looking beyond just MLB like looking in other countries to to upgrade their starting rotation. Yeah, they would have to spend a lot of money to be able to pull in Trevor Bauer. So uh I I don't really think that the Red Sox would do that. Uh it would be I, cool. I, mean, I don't I want them, I don't this. want them to do that. No, I, I would I much rather the rumors about getting him and I do, I don't want Trevor. Yeah, yeah, no, I I would much rather the Red Sox take an approach similar to the 2013 offseason when they brought in a lot of low-cost veterans that they just were able to piece together and win a World Series. Uh, I think that's really what Boston needs to do rather than looking to spend a ton of money on various top free agents, you know, just like one or two guys, I'd rather them <laughs> address a lot of the holes the team has uh so i guess just thinking of trevor bauer uh, my prediction is that he ends up signing with the los angeles angels and the angels were rumored last year to be a des- potential destination for garrett cole he went to ucla he wound up deciding to go to the new york yankees and while the angels signed anthony rendon to you know go along with mike trout and uh, some of the other big bats in their lineup their pitching staff continued to struggle, and they were one of the worst teams in baseball, even in a year. Their, know, their, where... their best pitcher died. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Um, that was, yeah, Tyler Skaggs. But uh, they even, even in a year where in the, uh, you know, eight teams made the postseason, the Angels still couldn't get in. And it's sad that Mike Trout has only three postseason games it, in his It's career. sad. That, yeah, it's, it's, it's terrible that the best player in baseball – is not uh, great in terms of market marketability, and he can't even make. He's made one. I think he. I think the Angels in his tenure have made one postseason. Yeah, twenty four. Did they win a game? Or no, they got they, swept by the Royals. They got swept by. Okay. Yeah, yeah, just three games. So to me, bringing in Trevor Bauer, he's a guy who can potentially make a claim to best starting pitcher in baseball. He just won the National League Cy Young Award. I think that's the kind of move to try to get this team on the right track. They already traded for Reds closer Rizal Iglesias, so it seems like they're making some moves. Uh, they also brought another Iglesias, Jose Iglesias at shortstop, former Red Sox. Uh, I don't want to say legend or anything, but he no, he played for the Red Sox. De- uh, great fielder. Uh, offensively not so great. Yeah. So, uh, it would be, I think it would be a good move for the angels to acquire Trevor Bauer. And, uh, I'm just going to kind of go, go all in and say that they actually pull it off. All right. So there's, uh, in terms of like some of the bigger bats on the market, uh, I think the big three are outfielder, George Springer, infielder, DJ LeMayhew and catcher JT Realmuto. Uh, do you have predictions in terms of where those three guys might land? No, but I mean, or I think DJ LeMay. Do you think I think there's a chance that I know the Yankees haven't gotten him, but don't don't you think he'd stay still? I mean, he was a huge part of their uh, run in 2019, where he had, he he was awesome all year. He was in the MVP conversation for a little bit, and he he has that tying home run uh, in the ninth inning, game six. I I feel like they should, I feel like. That's a good reason to bring him back. He's he's a very serviceable second baseman. I definitely think that the Yankees will be in pursuit of him, but I think there are going to be a lot of teams that are also trying to acquire. So you think services. it'd be like a Robbie Cano kind of thing, where yeah, he's been good, but we will, 
we don't want to pay him that big of money and we we'll want other teams to, to take a chance on him and <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know how it's going to work out in terms of the yankees but i do think that uh he's going to end up signing with the toronto blue jays i think that blue jays have made it clear that they're they're willing to try to start contending they're willing to spend money to do so and they are going to uh you know go out and get a guy who adds an impact bat and he's a veteran player who can you know potentially help bolster this this young lineup that they have with some of their you know the former major leaguers Vlad Guerrero Jr. Kevon Biggio and Bo Bichette plug in DJ LeMahieu uh, most likely at first base if he goes to Toronto that just feels like a situation base, right. yeah yeah that seems like uh, a situation that'd be good for him now for George Springer I know it's kind of a homer take but I can totally see him being in Boston because the the Red Sox they trade bets and there and then Bradley he's now a free agent so there's a big hole in their outfield and I and the leadoff position without bets now and I feel like George George Springer is a really really good replacement I'm not saying he's he is Mookie bets and but I think you can get 80 percent or 85 90 percent of 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 that and George Springer and he's a he was a leadoff hitter in in Houston and he probably didn't hit for as good of an average as Betts but still still plenty of power good speed and a good outfielder and I I feel like that's a good replacement for Betts uh, if you know uh, it was a year ago and they didn't exactly replace him this year with Verdugo I mean he was good but not great uh I feel like George Springer is the best possible replacement for for bets because uh, that's a, that was a huge hole in there now i don't think that the red sox would have gone anywhere even with bets there but it's still a loss uh so i think i think bringing george springer to boston would make sense didn't you say a few episodes ago that you didn't want the red sox to get george springer because it's like yeah i'll i'll admit I've, just I'm talking, I'm, I'm, t- I'm, I'm talking myself into it more just because <laughs> i just i want i'll admit i want names now <laughs> i i yeah, <laughs> the offseason has not not been great. Like not just for the Reds, just just anyone. So I think I that's I, want. I think that's fair. Um, you know, I I certainly wouldn't be disappointed if the Red Sox signed George Springer, but it's starting to sound like the Mets are emerging as a favorite. I think that he's going to end up going there. New owner Steve Cohen has certainly made it clear that he wants to spend money. He wants to build a World Series champion. I think that the Mets signed George Springer, and I also think that the Mets trade for Francisco Lindor shortstop from the Cleveland Indians it sounds more and more likely that he's me traded especially when you talk about a Cleveland team that does not uh you know have a ton of money like a huge payroll that they would be wanting to move on from him you know before he hits free agency you're probably right that I did say that I was against it but I'll admit I'm yeah I'm talking I'm talking to myself more into George Springer he's he's another hot commodity out there yeah um, so I guess last guy, Real Mudo. So he's he's a Phillies free agent, a Phillies catcher. catcher yeah. Um, I I have who do you, who do you have in mind in terms of Real so Mudo? the Mets seem like a possible destination, but it sounds like they're uh, closing in on a deal with James McCann, who was the White Sox backup catcher after they signed Grandall, but he was someone who was a really solid player for that team. Uh, so to me, if they're signing McCann, he's going to be their catcher. The Phillies, if there are talks about them 
looking to move on from guys and dump salary. I don't know that they're necessarily going to shell out a ton of money to retain Real Muto. I think it speaks volumes that they haven't been able to work out an extension with him to this point. So I'm going to rule them out. And uh, for that, kind of just talking about some of the other teams, like the Yankees, it's they they bringing back Gary Sanchez, so they're gone. And uh, I think the, the big team, you know, keep him in the NL East and sign with the Washington Nationals. Right now their starting catcher is set to be Jan Gomes, who he's he's all right, but I think that they'd be better served to make a significant upgrade and make Real Mudo their top guy. They obviously had a disappointing season this year, you know, finishing toward the bottom of the league, but they won the World Series two years ago. They've been a consistent playoff contender most seasons, so get back to normal i think real mudo is the kind of guy who can come in and help both uh their pitching staff the, and their offense he's been in the nl east for a while now because yeah the, the, the marlins. marlins and the I, I i almost said like didn't he used to play play for the nationals like, no that was wilson ramos so yeah yeah I, I can definitely i can see that the nationals as a as an option for real mudo and and their pitching staff yeah, and I guess beyond that, I could see the Phillies, if they lose Real Muto, um, trying to make a play on Cubs catcher Wilson Contreras, who it sounds is very likely to be dealt this offseason. But uh, I think that the Tampa Bay Rays are a team that are in desperate need of a catcher. And I, while I, I guess in some ways I would say oh, I'd love to see them shell out some money on Real Muto, I think that Contreras is a, a much more affordable and solid option for them to to get a guy who can be an, an impact bat and help them try to get back to the World Series like they did this year. All right. I would have said the Ra- I would have mentioned the Rays, but just because of their uh, situation in terms of paying guys, and, uh, given that they're not a high high market place yep. i didn't even bother mentioning the race you know i can relate to that with the pirates you know they were the worst team in the league last year i don't really see them making a ton of moves i think if they do anything notable it's probably trading guys you know joe musgrove starting pitcher seems inevitable to be dealt uh you know josh bell is a possibility there's certainly guys and throughout the roster that have some kind of trade value but a lot of them are probably kind of diminished after being the worst team in the league and you know not playing well so uh, I'm not too optimistic about Pittsburgh really making any significant moves. So, uh, at least in terms of adding guys in free agency. All right, let's uh, let's get ready to to close things here with our top five segment. So, Christmas is quickly approaching. Uh, we are now in the second week of December, and it is very much an appropriate time to be watching Christmas movies on an almost nightly basis. So, you know, in honor of the season. We'll count down our top five favorite Christmas movies in today's top five. Not two, not three, not four. Top five, top five, top five. Okay, so I'll get things started with my number five, and that is A Christmas Story. So this is one that is widely regarded as one of the more popular and one of the the best Christmas movies ever. This is uh, Ralphie and... His story of wanting the Red Rider BB gun and every adult in his life telling him he'll shoot your eye out, kid. So this is one where, like, I haven't seen it in a while. I definitely appreciate this movie. I've always enjoyed it when I watch it, and it felt like I needed to put it in my top five, but it's not not high enough up there in my own personal viewing for it to be any higher than number five. So a Christmas story. Uh, so for my number five, I went with 
It's a Wonderful Life, which is regarded as one of the, not just best Christmas movies, one of the best movies of all time. It's actually my dad's personal favorite movie of all of all movies. It's his favorite movie. And uh, I, I love, uh, I think it was, uh, what's his what's the character's name? Uh, George Bailey. Yeah, uh, James Stewart, uh, the actor. I, James Stewart, right. George, James Stewart, uh, character of, of George Bailey. And uh, so for a synopsis of the movie, George Bailey has so many problems. He is thinking about ending it all, and it's Christmas. And as the angels discuss, uh, talk with George, we see a life, what his life uh, is in a flashback, and what his life would be like, uh, uh, you know, helping the town out with over the years. And I, uh, it's a great movie, to, and I would recommend anyone to watch it, especially during Christmas time. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it'll be the last time we talk about that one. Uh, but for now, my number four, the 1964 animated classic, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And there are a lot of those like animated movies that I loved as a kid, and I probably could have gone on and talked about others, but Rudolph stands out for me in particular because like it was always one of my, my top favorite Christmas movies throughout my life, but the soundtrack to me is it's, it's the best of all these animated classics. And a big part of that is Burl Ives and a Holly Jolly Christmas, silver and gold. And uh, you know, of course the Rudolph, the red nosed reindeer song, everyone knows that, but there's just so many great songs in this one. And I also have a ton of Christmas ornaments. I guess my parents do that, that we've put up on the tree of Rudolph and, uh, Yukon Cornelius, you know, Dolly, the we have the uh the, the train with four wheels. So there's there's a ton of decorations. Uh so I've always been a, a big fan of Rudolph and uh, I think it, it belongs as the only animated classic on my list here at number four. Who's the kid in the movie? Is it Hemi? Hermie, uh, Hermie the Hermie. Elf. Her- yeah. Hermie the yeah. I I love when he he always says, I always wanted to be a dentist <laughs> yeah uh, but but yeah outside of that i do i do like i did like the rudolph movie a lot as well uh so for my number four choice uh now this is debatable if it should even be on the list because it's a hot topic every year of, of whether if this movie is even a christmas movie or not and the movie is die hard and uh i've oh i've been a i'm, I'm a huge fan of the die hard Die Hard movies and the first Die Hard is my personal favorite and uh, I love Bruce Willis's character and John McClane and uh, I I love uh, Reginald uh, uh, Vell Johnson's character and Sergeant Al Powell and uh, the the chemistry that the two of them have even though they never met each other and until until that night and uh, and else also Alan Rickman's character and Hans Gruber great villain that's just my favorite uh my favorite role of alan rickman uh it's a it's awesome movie it's it's it gives me joy even though it's a violent movie and not probably (laughs) arguably not a christmas movie it gives me joy especially during the christmas holiday so i i think it deserves to be called a christmas movie and uh and and be on the list so die hard is my 
number four choice. That's always one of the uh, the best debates of the Christmas season is Die Hard a Christmas movie. And you know, I, I think that if you count it as a Christmas movie, a lot of people would certainly put it on their list, even if they don't necessarily think it's a Christmas movie. So uh, number three for me is another one that I really enjoyed as a kid, and that is The Polar Express. Uh, I haven't seen this movie in a long time, I think since high school, but every year growing up, uh, I would always watch this movie with my grandmother. It was her favorite movie. Uh, she would always make sure that whenever we'd have sleepovers in December, right before Christmas, this was the, the movie of the night. And this is another one that I really enjoy the soundtrack. You know, the the uh, hot chocolate one is, is a fun one. And there's a, uh, I don't know the name of it. I think it's when, when Christmas comes to town and, uh, one of my favorites though is, is believe by Josh Groban. And that, that's a song that is always on my, my Christmas playlist. And, uh, I, I, I just think this is a really great story and it's, it's a fun movie. And I don't know, talking about it kind of makes me think it, it's past time for me to watch this one again. So we'll see. Um, I don't usually watch a whole lot of Christmas movies throughout you know, this season, but, uh, Polar Express was definitely one that always was part of the the lineup every year. As a fan, as a fan of Tom Hanks, as my favorite actor, he pl- he's he plays a ton of roles in that movie. Yeah. I think he plays like six different characters. He's like almost everybody. And it was, yeah, his it, most famous is probably the the conductor because that's his his real yeah, voice. Yeah, the, con- the, the conductor is definitely his, his best one of, out of all of them. Uh, I agree. I I I like that choice as well. Uh, so for my number three choice, I went with the movie Elf, <laughs> starring Will Ferrell. Is uh, as his role as uh, Buddy the Elf. He, uh, as a toddler, was accidentally uh, in Santa's bag and was accidentally transported to the North Pole and was raised uh, in his adulthood uh, among Santa's elves. And uh, because of his inability to fit in, he uh, is told by his uh, the father who raised him and Santa, uh, where who his actual father is, and he travels all the way to New York City to to meet him and uh, and grow a relationship with him and and his uh, f- family as well with so with his James Conn's character's wife and and his and his son. So uh, it's such a great it's such a great Christmas movie. And it's very quotable, and I even watched it just a few days ago again, and so many. Uh, quotes. Uh, it's just the, one of the most quotable movies uh, that I could think. Not just Christmas movie, just any movie that I can think of. Yeah, my my favorite one to to do is a bye, buddy. I hope you find your dad. Bye, yeah, bye, buddy. Hope you find your dad. Yeah. I, 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 and Francisco. That's fun to say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, a- I, I love when I also love when Santa uh, tells Buddy before he travels to the city all the tips that he has and he tells him if you ever if you ever see a gum on the street don't don't take it's not free candy yeah <laughs> and whenever yeah. you see the words peep show it's not it's that doesn't mean you can open it doesn't mean you can open christmas presents early <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah <laughs> there's like there's a lot of like little things like that that uh you know do they really stand out as a as a kid and when you watch it and then again as an adult um I, I love Elf as well. It's a phenomenal movie. I'll leave it at that, and I'll move on to my number two, uh, which is your number five, It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, so I know you said that this is your dad's favorite movie. 
Uh, I don't know where this is in terms of my dad and my uncle's favorite movies, but I know that this is certainly uh, a popular Christmas movie amongst the Navani family. Uh, every year for the last almost decade now, my uncle has had an It's a Wonderful Life party, which basically just an excuse for uh, you know the family to get together. And they watch It's a Wonderful Life. And uh, I, I think it's a great movie, even though it's from 1946 and uh, a lot of probably most of the characters and actors in this are dead now. Uh, I do appreciate older movies, and this is certainly a great one. Now, I think this is another one, though, with Die Hard, where everyone, like, they question whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie. It takes place at a holiday party. Does that count? And it's a wonderful life. Most of the movie doesn't take place during Christmas. It's just, like, the live present stuff does. So a lot of people count it. But I think this is another one where it's like, okay, if Die Hard is not a Christmas movie, then It's a Wonderful Life shouldn't be, right? Is that kind of fair to say? Like they're they're yeah, they're I, both I think, in, they're I think, neither. I think, I think both of them are Christmas movies. Yeah, I'm, I've de- I've been debating it longer with Die Hard, uh, but I think it's a Wonderful Life. Absolutely is. Yeah, and I I, I don't know if people debate that, but that's that's certainly kind of my logic in terms of why Die Hard is a Christmas movie because we say it's a Wonderful Life is a Christmas movie. Uh, <laughs> regardless, it, it's a great great Christmas movie, so that's why it's my number two. And so for my number two, I went with Home Alone One. And in the movie, uh, Macaulay Culkin plays eight-year-old Kevin McAllister, and who he acts out the night before a family trip uh, to Paris, and so his mother uh, makes him sleep in the attic uh, as punishment. But the next day, when they travel to Paris, uh, they mistakenly leave Kevin and forget to bring him on the trip, and. He wake he obviously awakens to an empty house with no family and it's just him hanging out and uh, I it's one of my favorite def, obviously one of my favorite Christmas movies and and uh, I I love everything about it and not, it's not just because of Kevin's uh, McAllister or Macaulay Culkin's character but I also love Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern's character as uh, the two villains in the movie the con men that uh, are robbing. Uh, all these places in the neighborhood and it's just a awesome movie. Yeah. I, I've never necessarily appreciated the home alone movies, I guess like not necessarily that I don't like them. It's just, I, I don't remember the last time I watched them. It's not, not a, a franchise that I kind of go out of my way for, but I know that it's certainly a popular one. So not surprising that's your number two, and we'll get to your number one shortly. But uh, my number one is another one that you had on your list, and that is Elf. And uh, I know you talked about just watching this recently. I talked about how I, I watch the Polar Express every year uh, as a kid. Well, my family on Christmas Eve every year watches Elf, and we, it's in I think eight years in a row we've been doing this I don't think it's going to any anytime soon we all love it it's a hilarious movie uh, I think it's Will Ferrell's best movie and I, I love Will Ferrell I think he's been in a lot of awesome comedies but Elf is such a funny movie uh, I know you you talked a lot about it. You know, we we've discussed it. Uh, but one thing yeah, I do I, want to point out something that I actually just recently learned. So, uh, you know, like when Buddy first arrives in New York, there's like scenes of him walking through the Lincoln Tunnel and just walking in the middle of the the road, and he's like hopping over the the crosswalk, and a cab's yeah. beeping at him, and he's like running. He's like Santa, Santa, to just like some old guy in a a red tracksuit. He's like, "You're not Santa." Uh, 
all of that is real. Like they didn't have none of those people in that are paid extras. John Favreau and his his crew just went out into New York and started filming stuff. So like that guy in the jumpsuit, he's not an actor. He's just a guy that have to be on the street. <laughs> so I, I think wow, that's, that's hilarious. I never knew, yeah. I never knew that. That's I never awesome. knew that. That's gonna make it like so much more fun. Like watching it in a couple weeks, just like looking at it, and realizing, oh, wow, like this is, this could have been anyone. Just happened to be in there. Could be. Could have been. Could have been the movie. Yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah, I uh, I think that 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 makes it even more appreciative for me. I heard he so. t- I heard he t- turned down Elf two because I I mean he's he did Anchorman Who? two Will and Ferrell? Will Ferrell okay. he turned yeah. down to do uh, Elf two and it was for twenty plus million dollars and turned wow. it down and he talked about how well Anchorman two wasn't a big success apparently I'd never seen yeah. it but apparently yeah, the I mean, sequel I to that wasn't was a big success right. so yeah. he didn't want to do it just for the money and. Have yeah, it be a, a failed movie. It just just have the original and have it have yeah. it stand alone and be a that good makes movie. sense. I, I mean, the original's so good. I think it's a great story, and and a sequel definitely would have been a money grab. So I appreciate Will Ferrell not doing that. Speaking of uh, speaking of sequels, <laughs> so for my number one choice, uh, I went with Home Alone two, and there aren't when when we watch movies. Uh, rarely do I say the the second movie or the sequel to a movie is better than the first one. I mean, maybe maybe twenty two Jump Street over twenty one, but Shrek two, uh, uh, <laughs> Shrek two, right? Yeah, <laughs> uh, which we agree to disagree on. There, there really, I can't think of any movie where the sequel, the second movie, is better than the first one. But Home Alone two, I uh, absolutely enjoyed even more than the first one. And in this movie, Kevin McAllister, he's uh, he's abandoned by his family again on another trip, but instead of being left home alone, uh, he gets on the wrong flight and is uh, in New York City. And, and another awesome movie, and another quote, very quotable movie as well. And uh, it's it's Home Alone one and two are easily my and and along with Elf that they're all um, movies that I make sure to watch and I've already have watched all of them. Uh, and I'll probably watch them again at some point, uh, as Christmas comes, uh, come, comes closer. So, uh, Home Alone 2, uh, is my number one choice for best Christmas movie. So I've definitely never seen the sequel for Home Alone. Oh, you've never seen the sequel? So I I Uh, can't weigh in on how it compares to the original. It's even, it's even funnier than the first one. And and yeah, and again, Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern's characters are back in it and they find them in the city and mm-hmm. um i won't spoil too much of it from there but I, I, i'd imagine people listening i'm sure most of them have already seen it yeah no i'm, I'm sure it's everyone but me um you know i definitely need to give the the home alone franchise another try just because it, it's been a while so um that'll do it for our top five and uh we we've been doing a lot of top five movie countdowns recently i guess you can call it like the affable chatification of he's done yeah. it ben might be gone but his spirit lives on and uh i i particularly bring that up because i'm currently watching off to the side while we do this top five ben take on my brother cam who a more recent guest on he's done it in uh the super bowl of uh xbox madden league we're in are they like the first or second quarter right now they're in the second quarter it's approaching the two minute warning cam's the oakland raiders ben is the san francisco 49ers and cam's up seven to six so yeah i'm i'm i was i'm in this league as the steelers are they they low scoring games or is it they're just higher score both good defense you know the 
They're playing. Cam, both, they're both playing good defense right now. Yeah, Cam has definitely scored a lot of points in games in the past. I know Ben has as well. So just both of them are kind of going all out on the defensive side of the ball, I guess. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you can kind of watch the replay. Obviously, it's way too late by the time you listen to this to be able to tune in live. But on uh, on Ben's Twitch or or my brother's Twitch, um, so. Uh, I'm sure some of our listeners are also watching this game. I uh, can't really give too many updates here, but it's two-minute warning. It's 7-6. to six, So uh, They actually played in the Super Bowl last season, and Ben's 49ers won. So I think it would be kind of cool if uh, Cam can get revenge and, and win this one, but we'll see. Are they the same teams all the time? Yeah. Yeah, it's the same so team. So Ben's always over. the Niners, Cam's always the Raiders, and you're always... I, I joined this season as the Steelers. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't have a, a user controlling them the first two seasons. So this is the third season of the league. And Ben's won the Super Bowl the past two years. So going for the three-peat, but Cam with the lead and trying to put it away. Um, well, maybe not put it away. It's still early, but at least trying to, to continue to grow his lead. So, all right, that'll do it. Uh, you know, let's, let's wrap things up here. Uh, another fun episode. We'll be back. Uh, sometime soon before the end of the NFL season as uh, we, we approach the, the final stretch. So for my co-host, Brian Wells, I'm Corinne Votney. Thanks, everyone.